0: All right, you're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT. This is our special uh, Tune Out the Inauguration episode. Uh, please enjoy this week's program. We talk a little bit about news, a little bit about how to resist Trump, and a little bit about why you shouldn't trust your senses, at least not all the time. Enjoy the show. If you can support us, by the way, if you like this program, you can go to Patreon, dot P-A-T-R-E-O-N, com slash Green Majority, and sign up to be a member today. Uh, I'm your host, Darren Kastry. I'm in studio studio with Stefan Hostetter and Sabina Hasseni. Oh, I'm getting thumbs. I'm getting really good at remembering <laughs> how to say people's last names at the last minute. Uh, we have a, an interesting show for you today. We're going to be talking, of course, about um, Trump a little bit. Uh, Not so much him though Uh, About things inspired by him So in a moment we're going to go to Stefan Who did a last minute call out If you're a good reason to follow uh, both Green Majority And uh, Stefan's uh, Twitter Which is at Green Majority and at StayHo underscore Yes, Um, For stuff about the show and, And there was a last minute call out last night For ideas of ways to resist or things things that we're going to do now that we have to deal with the reality that is Trump. Uh, so Stefan's going to take point on that and just discuss some of the ideas because you've got a number of people uh, sending you in ideas as well. So we're going to be talking about that in just a minute. In the middle of the show, I have a couple of news items we're going to run through. There's, there's a bunch of things that I thought was really important this week so that we, we simply, I'll just tell you now, we simply do not have time to get to all of them. Uh, a great reason to check out the show post though, however, I'm going to sort of allude to a few of them and, and hope that you go to the show post and read these articles. They're not long, um, but they're things I think are worth knowing. But I picked out two that I think are uh, not necessarily even the most important, but the two things that I think are most useful to talk about. Uh, and then at the end of the program, we have an interview. We're going to be joined by Dougald uh, Mosley, uh, who is the filmmaker behind the latest Nature of Things documentary with David Suzuki on the CBC Doc channel uh, called The Secrets of Our Senses from the Myth or Science series. We, we've spoken to uh, Dr. Jennifer Gardy, who's the uh, host of the show before she was unable to join us today so we have the filmmaker instead which is equally cool uh, and one of the reasons, as I've said repeatedly, that I like talking to documentary filmmakers so much is that they are people who, generally speaking, don't know anything about a topic until they get an insane crash course on it. Um, and I find their viewpoint on that topic to be extremely illuminating because they're both speaking of, from a position of at least some authority because they've done quite a bit of research, um, but they also didn't have the background. And so they have this unique ability to sort of discuss things that surprise them. They, they have a unique ability to take sort of the every person's view, right? Um, so we're going to be talking to them. Now, now the documentary, of course, as you probably alluded from the name of the film, is about um, sort of the science of the senses. The angle we're going to be taking with that interview, though, is about um, sort of truth and this whole ongoing issue now that is the quote unquote, uh, and and because I don't want to use it in the same way that it's commonly used, uh, the idea of fake news, and and more importantly, just how do we know what's real so that we can make important decisions, um, you know, make the make wise decisions on these important on important issues, uh, and then we'll probably carry some of the uh, the Trump stuff into the bonus show as well as. I'm sure, some griping about uh, <laughs> Trudeau. But that is the show we're going to be listening to. I'm going to take no more of Stefan's time, however. Please take it away. Thank you.
1: Um, so I think it should be noted, and I think it's interesting, uh, that we have an oddly distinct honor, uh, because by listening to us, you are therefore not able to watch Trump walk on stage and be introduced. Nice. Uh, so if you're listening to us live, we are now talking over uh, the great talker over uh of humanity wrong uh, that is donald trump <laughs> wrong <laughs> um uh because he's uh, he's actually finding himself uh yeah i believe the idea was of course, he's actually there's been multiple protests so I'm, I'm actually curious to find out later if if it's been slowed down in a way but he was supposed to be introduced at 11
0: yeah for those of you who can't see inside the studio right now i'm actually leering creepily behind stephen as <laughs> he's talking
1: yeah it's it's making it much more difficult to have this piece. Um, but uh, so Donald Trump is being be inaugurated as uh, as historically unpopular. Uh, the latest Fox News poll has been thirty seven percent approval, uh, compared to when Obama got approved in 80 percent approval. Uh, so this is like, I don't I think he may be the first person ever to be inaugurated less liked than liked. He's number uh, one at sucking. Yeah, exactly. He's really nailing that. Um, and and there are protests across uh, across the world. Um, and and if you want to. You know, Twitter is super interesting right now because there's all the people are finding all these interesting ways to resist.
0: I'm oh, sorry. I can, I can quantify that actually with a very, very interesting number. A lot of people don't know this. So uh, there, to, an, an interesting way to judge how many people – because it's very – it's historically very difficult to judge crowds, right? Even if people say they're coming because weather and all this and people like to say when they're not and they come when they don't. So a really good indicator of like how many people are coming are uh, requests for bus permits. Hmm. There have been 398 bu- requests for bus permits for today to actually take part uh sort of like charter buses getting mm-hmm. people from out of state to come in. 398 buses have have, have requested charter permits to to park their buses for today. Mm. Guess how many are for the women's march tomorrow? I believe it was 2000, 1200. Ah, but four three times <laughs> yeah. triple the amount of people. And those are that's 1200 buses. Right. There's going to be there's going to be somewhere between half a million and a million people protesting tomorrow, and probably less than three hundred thousand actually attending today. Wow.
1: Um, so so yeah so so this is an interesting time basically. Um, and and so what I wanted to do as I as as you sort of teased earlier uh, was last week I had a, a unique opportunity to to sit in uh, to the agents of change climate solutions uh, pitches uh, for the for the center for social innovation uh, where we where we both work, um, and it. It, it it was almost like the best solve. I feel like the best the best the best way to sort of experience uh, this time because listening to these twenty like four, forty amazing ideas, which were whittled down to twenty one, uh, was this amazing. Like look at all the actual really cool things that are happening. Uh, and so, I think what I'll do in, in future episodes is come back to this and sort of talk about it. But if you want to learn more about that, check out February seventh uh, uh, at, at uh, Google Age of Change Climate Solutions launch party. We're going to have a whole thing on February seventh. Uh, on the show post itself, uh, and and come and see these people because like they are part of this resistance. But what I also did was I, I made a call out last night uh, in the wee hours of the morning. So I, I think it's impressive alone the number of people who who actually reached out with and with and with such value and interest uh to provide this idea to be fair i think a lot of people were having trouble sleeping mm-hmm. fair enough uh, and so and so i want to go through sort of a whole host of ways and ideas uh of, of that we can of, of different types of resistance and what i find interesting is that this comes from each and different angles too which i find really really also interesting uh, and so the first one uh was to keep a weekly journal uh, of things that have happened uh, because the news and the facts are heavily are going to be heavily disputed already are heavily disputed uh you know as your your wrong earlier indicated you know that J- Donald Trump will deny anything all facts basically um and and so it 's easy to start doubting our own reactions uh, and our own internal narrative of, of issues that we care about um as, uh, uh, Essentially, uh, duplicating a more or less objective record of current events to the point where the truth can't be obliterated uh, or lost in balanced coverage. Balanced was with air quotes, but you can't see them because this is radio. Um, and it also serves. Uh, so, now, the the value of this again is, is like you know create your own rea- like not create your own reality, but like justify your own, like, like make a record of reality. So when someone tells you something didn't happen, you're like, you can go back and be like, no, it did happen. Um, and and it also serves as a record to, to show how not normal these things are, right? If, if each time you're surprised by something, you write it down, then the 15th time it happens, you can go back and remember the first time it happened and how surprised you were. Um, and so that's, that's resistance number one. Resistance number two uh, it was be specific about the problem, uh, so not getting lost in in sort of hating all of America uh, but the rather uh, venal nihilistic, and racist wings of the Republican Party that undermine American governance you now it 's important to remember that you know he won with about twenty six percent of registered voters uh, and th- only thirty seven percent of uh, of polled Americans approve of him, this is not representative of the entire entity and they and therefore. We must be – we must remain specific because as soon as you go – as soon as you start demonizing all of America, you have a much – your ability to resist is hindered because uh, you're, you're losing that 75 percent or 63 you know, uh, percent of people who could be on your side by lumping them into this, into this piece. Um, the third uh, is to not allow – again, to rem, second person being like do not allow them to be normalized. Uh, while resisting – well, this is interesting. While resisting the urge to reject everything he does out of hand, Um, and this might be a controversial one, but I think it's at least worth mentioning that – you know, we, if, if we are going to be, you know, the last eight years, the Democrats spent this entire time, you know, slamming the Republicans for saying no on everything. You know, Obama was quoted once of saying, I could read line by line the Republican National Con- Convention's uh, platform and they would still be rejected by a Republican Congress. Um, and so I think it's important to, th- to, to try to take, to still, even in these times, try to, you know, if something as good is happening, let, you know, don't fight the good.
0: Well
2: just, and just if on that point,
0: just on that point, I think it's really important to point out we the, the, we don't need to theorize that and, I mean he was sort of he Obama is an an amazing speaker and, and he was very clever with his language, but we don't need the joke hmm. the, the Affordable Care Act aka Obamacare is a republican idea <laughs> that he took literally <laughs> yeah. literally that Mitt was they passed it in Massachusetts that was their opposition the. when when the Democrats were talking about single payer. Hmm. And that yeah. was their idea. And then they, li- they literally adopted it. And now Trump has been, in, to some degree, elected to remove it because it's an evil Democrat socialism idea.
1: Except that so he's f- also said that he's going to provide basically a single payer, which is perhaps the funniest thing. <laughs> I don't actually think he'll do it. But anyways, um, and so, so the, 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 that was resistance number four. And this idea of, you know, it, does a high road still exist? Uh, we don't know. Uh, but, you know, we can only hold ourselves to our own standards, not to his.
0: And only because they just added back to the future on Netflix last week mm. where we're going we don't need roads
1: Aha. we need spaceships <laughs> and moon bases um, the, the next one uh, so rejection number five uh, is persons going to spend more time uh, reconnecting with what we're building uh, on top of more donations and volunteering with grassroots organizations uh, more deliberate self-caring um, and more deliberate remembering of what the world could and should look like uh, so, you know, this came a couple times the sort of reinvestment in, in, in the positive. Pat, uh, uh, Patton Oswald has a, a whole thing about how instead of watching the inauguration today, you should go and support a, a, uh, a local theater company uh, or, or, or a restaurant near you that's struggling. Uh, and sort of to invest in your local community and, and invest in the, in the pieces of the building blocks of the world we want to see rather than just fighting and tearing down the pieces that you don't. Um, next person uh, suggests uh, with that with so it's resistance number number six uh, with meditation uh, I can consciously rewire. Um, they reference an exchange between doctors uh, Gabor Mate and Alan Kalpin, uh, clued me into a potential uh, into the potential of anger. Uh, when we're enraged, the the tightening of, of voice and shallow breathing and muscle tension. Uh, They must be listening to this show. Uh, um, uh, Imagine we've experienced our signs of anxiety, not anger. Uh, Kaplan describes this as acting out anger. And while those who psychologically experience it, uh, he actually observes uh, relaxation. Uh, I swing to acting out, which gives me less command in a conflict. I don't know yet my processes dismantle this behavior, but I do know that I am – but I do know that I am now realizing my potential as a frontline worker because I'm—I've replaced empathy and lack of boundaries with compassion. Uh, so this exchange is possible, and going through it will make me more effective as an activist. Uh, and I think this can't be the number of times that I have found myself, you know, responding in anger uh, to only realize later that. That's not actually the most effective response. It almost never is. Uh, you know, uh, more often than not, if you can if you can give yourself a half second to breathe and then respond a second time a second later, your second response is going to be effect- more effective in almost every way, and especially in, in, in that in the act of resistance. Uh, number eight, resistance number eight, don't ever say we did not give a bunch of things you can do. Um, uh, giving money to ethics and, and public interest watchdogs like Public Citizen, uh, as well as US Planned Parenthood and the ACLU uh, nationwide is one of the best ways to resist. If you can swing it, uh, I, personal, I personally give to Public Citizen um, and, and they do amazing and important work. Uh, so again – like these are, as, as a person who sort of exists in a, in a in a in a company that sort of is you know maybe not actually uh, I I see a lot of organizations that are that are these advocacy organizations and the amount of which a little bit of money can actually you know these advocacy organizations are so much smaller than you imagine them to be you know they are two three people but they are working uh, just ridiculous hours.
0: Well, it's like what happens with our show. I, I've talked about it on the show, but we've talked off air mm-hmm. repeatedly about how. Uh, I'll occasionally get an angry email from a listener or so or or from an interview uh potential because you know it took me more than twenty four hours to respond to them and and it became clear through the conversation it's because they think this is our full time job <laughs> and and I was telling somebody at work the other day how complimented I am when somebody gets mad at that because the idea that 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 we're doing such a good job that they're confusing enthusiastic volunteers with slacker employee. <laughs> I, I literally reply to people and be like, "Hey, we're volunteers," and I really appreciate that confusion because you just gave me the biggest possible compliment. But that is like, we're not the odd one out here. This is standard, and oh, no, you, and, and Stefan and I are authorities on this, particularly Stefan because his job is actually to work with these organizations. I just you know make the food for the right. cafe. But we also know people there. Like th- this isn't like one or two examples. This is the majority of these organizations. There are a few big guys and, and thousands of small organizations that like 50 bucks will like make or break their next campaign.
1: Oh yeah. And and it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's mind boggling the, 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 the scale at which the campaign Outshines the the number of people working on it. Yeah. You know, the, it's it's just you see some of these organizations, and you are like how like you, you look behind the curtain, you are like you are two people and one computer, and you just but you understand the power of networks, and and so any little bit of amount of money in these organizations can go can go so so far. Yeah. Uh, resistance number nine uh, is by focusing on the actual issues that need to be discussed. Uh, the sale of, of news is a business. Um, I can think critically and logically about the media machine is – about what the media machine is spinning. By being pro-choice, by standing up for human rights, and by not subscribing to terror politics or allowing it to change the positive ways I behave. Um, now, of course, we've discussed this a lot. The uh, The, the – I think when, what's interesting to see is, is, is what the media does during the Trump presidency mm-hmm. uh, you know uh, there have been signs uh, there have been some positive signs but there's some some negative signs you know the, the, the fact that Trump was given credit for the for, for the for Congress backing down on the ethics piece is a very bad sign because mm-hmm. uh, what happened was a mass movement of people called every one of their congressional districts and stopped it, it what did not happen is Trump tweeted and, and the Congress changed their minds right. like this is and yet the story that played on the media more often than not was the fact that you know, that this was happening
0: or, I mean, uh, or the carrier deal, which he literally just paid the company to keep their jobs here. And and,
1: and not even a lot of jobs and tipped his hand too early. Like the number of ways that the, it's just,
0: Yeah he his his badness is over only over overshadowed or, or his ineffectiveness is only overshadowed by the ineffectiveness of the media covering him right uh, and but now there was you mentioned one positive sign which was and i I'm, we don't have a live internet connection here in the studio or at least i don't mm-hmm. um so I don't have time to look I, I don't have a way to look it up right now on the fly but there was actually now I meant to flag it there was an announcement last night from some journalism like industry group uh basically th- they were saying it as if they were all locked in arms on this i'm 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 anticipating that this was more hopeful hmm. uh, because obviously they couldn't they didn't go around and talk to every journalist but they essentially was a declaration that their members uh, would be locked arm in arm and that there's a commitment that if you know if a, if a journalist was shut down that the next journalist would forego their question and repeat the question that wasn't asked uh. until they get an answer. Hmm. Now I'm skeptical that this will happen hmm. uh, because I don't have that much faith in the corporate media but it's a positive sign that people are thinking that because that is an effective way to resist yeah. so if they do manage to do that uh, or if a small or if a large enough a group of them manage to do that, um, that could end up being really effective.
1: Yeah. Um, okay. So uh, we're down to – I have three more. Um, uh, the next one uh, is that is that basically uh, don't watch the inauguration. Uh, to some extent, you are already doing that uh, because you're listening to the show. Unless you have, – you're simulcasting? Um, well, if they're watching it on mute while
0: listening to us, I feel like that's okay.
1: Yeah, uh, well, fair enough. Uh, I think the 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 the, the point this person is making is to is to is to is to not give him the ratings that he wants because, uh, of course, everything for Trump is about is about ratings. I'd right. uh, be really funny. I think if the Apprentice got better ratings than the inauguration, I don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> but I think that would just be personally very funny to me. Um, the That would be number 10, I believe. Uh, you can, people can correct me wrong if my numbers are now off, but I think that was 10. Uh, 11 uh, was, was texted into me uh, at the last second, uh, which is that I will resist Trump first in my very being by representing in every act not his antithesis but his antidote. Second, by understanding the history of American governance and finding and listening to those best able to articulate – his madness, and third, by being prepared to physically intervene where necessary. Uh, From the choice of words alone, I'm that was your brother. That was my brother. Yeah, yep. <laughs> of course it was. <laughs> um, and, and also the, the ability to text me during the show. Uh, two particular things. Um, so all of you can follow me on Twitter to get, get access, some access. Other Twitter, uh, other ways is you have my exact number because you know because I live with you. Um, and the last one, uh, so that was eleven. Um, and I think uh, you know I think he brings up a couple different points of, of understanding the history that Trump exists in is is monumentally important. I think you know I think Obama's election allowed a lot of America to believe that they lived in a post-racial society, which was already stupid, but it allowed people to say that a bunch of times. And I think the Trump election uh, is sort of the re- America being like, no, no, we were always like this. Um, and so I think it's important to note the fact that you know he can Trump can slam someone who were, marched with. Martin Luther King on Martin Luther King Weekend, and everyone just sort of, you know, carries on. Um, is, is 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 testament to the uh, to the problem. Uh, and the final one uh, comes a friend of the show uh, who responded it, – it, it, so the way I asked the question uh, was actually not specifically how you resist Donald Trump but how you would resist uh, the small-handed orange one. Um, and, so, and so the last one comes from a good friend of the show, Rob Shirky, uh who says uh, to complement uh, – the complementary color uh, or opposing color neutralizes. For example, if you have too much orange, add a little blue. Uh, so on this makeup tip, uh, if you find, if you find your life a little too orange, Thanks, add a little Rob. blue. Thanks Rob. Yeah, there you go. There were, that was, I think that was suggestion number 12 of ways to resist Trump is add a little blue.
0: All right. Well, at the, uh, the beginning of the next section, I have two things not to do, uh, that I'm going to add before I get into my news items, but we should go to break. So, uh, you're listening to the Great majority of you just tuned in, in our special, uh, reality isn't real facts are not facts, <laughs> uh, antidote, uh, show, I guess. Um, and we'll be back to talk about some news and my quick, just quick two tips on, on things that I encourage you to consider not doing, hmm. uh, in as ineffective or perhaps, uh, most likely counter uh, counter, what's the word I'm looking for counterfactual, counter- not counterfactual. It will, it will do the opposite of your intention, ah, uh, counterproductive uh, counterproductive, uh, things that people I feel are going to be tempted to do, but I will urge you not to do. I'll do that after the break. First, we're going to go to Megan, who is our tech this week. Who's going to tell us what our first music break is. Back, you're listening to the Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. Uh, we're going to do some of our uh, more focused news coverage here, but really quickly before we get to that as well, I just wanted to add two things that I encourage people not to do. They may be tempted to do uh, to resist Trumps, but they will uh, they will produce the opposite effect. They will they will not be accurate. Uh, they will not be effective, and I encourage you to re- to actively resist doing them, despite the temptation that may exist. Uh, number one. Uh, I think is is obvious, but I, I feel the need to remind people anyway, uh, violence, and, and I don't even necessarily mean violence in the sake of like, you know, some sort of terroristic act, but even like, you know, violent protesting, uh, I think even like screaming at his supporters, these are all giving oxygen to people that... Uh, that are basically like like Trump, a lot of his most fervent supporters, the ones you're most likely going to be confronting. And in and this, I'm, listen, I'm talking mostly, obviously, to our American listeners here. Uh, love that. They love the fact that you hate them. Um, and so resist that and go ahead, by all means, uh, peacefully protest, do anything you want. Uh, but sinking down to the hate level, um, hate doesn't beget hate. Uh, And it will simply fuel it. And not only is it not uh, effective in this particular situation, these people love the fact, particularly Trump loves the fact that some people hate him because he just wants the attention. Um, So don't do that. Uh, You know, by all means, uh, uh, protest and do everything else. Uh, And most importantly, like think about it, like whether he's been popular or, or, you know, whether it was something he said that was popular or not popular, uh, accurate or not accurate. Trump just gets off on having his name said and he gets off on having his name on the front of uh, news articles and headlines and people talking about him. Um, That's why he's going so nuts that he because he knows that like basically nobody is showing up for his inauguration today. Um, So I think this is a lesson we can carry through which is that he will do anything for people's attention. So if the majority of Americans, which it appears, uh, oppose him now, he's at popularity seven, I think you said 44 earlier, Eifert numbers as low as 37. Uh, A lot of people are splitting the difference and saying his approval is around 40% right now. I think that will only continue to go down over the next two weeks as people see what he's actually, because I think there's a percentage of people that are just like, okay, hold on, give him a chance still. Uh, And I think that number will continue to go down. So I think the way that I would encourage people to do it was obviously don't tune out. Uh, focus on him, but don't make it about Trump. Go after his cabinet picks. Go after the senators. Go after go after specific policies and talk about the policies and just say this administration. Do everything you can to not say his name. It will make him insane. Uh, and aside from just the joyful pleasure of knowing that you're driving a, a hideous person nuts, I think this is actually a way to force him into better ideas because at that point, he'll do anything to get talked about. And and I think he's so desperate for attention. I think and he's already demonstrated this, but when the healthcare thing came up, uh, is that him, He's essentially promising stuff more liberal than what even the Democrats were offering. And meanwhile, while his actual ca- health minister and cabinet picture are going, yeah, we're no. Uh, well, I'm not sure we're probably not going to do that, because he's just saying whatever he needs to say to get people's attention. And I think this is actually a way to exert force over Trump. Um, so Don't say his name, fight him, but leave his name out of it. That's how you'll get his attention. That's how you get some power back. The second thing was that I wanted to comment, and I won't say the person's name, but I was having a brief uh, uh, Facebook conversation with somebody. Who was posting around an app that blocked out Trump related news from your newsfeed? And I commented on it and saying, you know, I, I would like to respectfully disagree um, because I think that um, this is exactly what he wants you to do. He wants you to, people to get so frustrated with facts and so frustrated with a conversation and, and everything gets so overheated that people just tune out. This is how people like him get power by getting all his opposition to basically give up and tune out and go play video games or whatever and just it basically just completely tune out of the system I understand if you're somebody and and you know we were having a conversation here during the break about you know we totally understand if you feel like you're overwhelmed and you need a break totally do that if, if this is coming from a point of view of the fact that you need to take five and that might mean five minutes five weeks five months do the thing do you take care of yourself but Don't and this was the thing that irritated me about the response I got to that comment, which was, you know, I'm going to tune out and the way I'm going to help is by, you know, thinking positively and spreading positivity in the world. Um, That's not helpful. (laughs) So if you're going to tune out, I what I would encourage you to do, and obviously this is limited by people's ability to do so. But I mean, as I said, do what you feel like you need to do, uh, but don't think you're doing anything positive by tuning out. Uh, And if you do need to tune out, totally respect that. Um, Consider making a donation instead. Buy your way out of buy your buy permission to do that right. Mm. So if you if you're someone who's just you're overwhelmed and you can't do it and you can afford to make a donation to uh, any of these groups supporting the Women's March on Washington or anything else, uh, please consider doing that. But just don't fool yourself into thinking that uh, that you're helping just by you know trying to, you know, limit your world to your own little world and thinking that if you're a good person, that'll go far. I'm sorry, we're hippie on the show, but not quite that. Hippie. <laughs> um, so there's that. So the thing I really wanted to talk about news related was there was a really interesting thing that happened. And, and this was also all over uh, social media as well recently, which was Trump, uh, sorry, Trump, <laughs> Freudian slip now. Uh, Trudeau made comments about phasing out the oil sands. And he did this in, during his cross country tour. By the way, if you want to stop by CIUT and answer some of my questions, uh, please feel free. <laughs> The, uh, the invitation is open, Mr. Trudeau. Um, but he made a comment which surprised many, including me, uh, saying that inevitably, eventually, we need to phase out the oil sands. Now, he's completely right. <laughs> but there's two things I wanted to talk about here. One, which was he continues to be an absolute clown about how to moderate public opinion. And this is something that is a serious problem for Trudeau. He is horrifyingly bad at messaging. He thinks he's good at messaging, which is part of the problem, because he thought, well, I won such an overwhelming you know, uh, vote, so I must be a great messenger. No, that was a rejecting Harper vote, and we need to remind him of that. He's really, really bad at making his case. Uh, he just seemed like the most viable uh, and likely to be elected alternative, which isn't even an endorsement of him. That's more of an endorsement of the liberals are the most viable alternative to the conservatives. I don't think that has anything to do with whether whatsoever about Trudeau, other than the fact that he doesn't seem particularly offensive to your average Canadian. So there's two things here. One, I want to talk about the comical response from uh, the Wild Rose Party. The other thing is I want to make a comment about um, why this is super bad messaging. So first, let's talk about the the, the Wild Rose response. So Wild Rose leader uh, Brian Jean told the CBC, uh, I'm sick and tired of people attacking our oil sands. I would truly suggest that Mr. Trudeau keep his comments to himself when he doesn't know what he's talking about. Irony. (laughs) Uh, We certainly don't need an out of touch federal politician sounding like Jane Fonda, which is just. It's so silly. Um, so the point is here is that Justin Trudeau is absolutely right. And this Wild Rose politician is a fool. Um, the reason is because, of course, we have to. First of all, it's going to be phased out just by simply running out of the resource. <laughs> for so for starters so like on a politically neutral point of view we have to plan to phase it out even if that's 85 years from now.
1: Yeah, that's some like the the, the statement itself uh, taken at any with any sort of understanding of time scale is meaningless without a time scale attached to it. You know, it's like exactly. it phasing out is is like saying yeah, it, it, it's 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 it, the, the, the words only matter for the timescale he's talking about, and he wasn't really clear with the timescale. So the, it's a very innocuous statement.
0: Yeah. Now, the second thing I really loved was uh, PC leadership candidate, ca- candidate, Jason Kenny, uh, asked Trudeau if you would rather, quote, hand over all global oil production to Saudi Arabia or Iran or Qatar. I got news for you, Jason Kenny. Hmm. Saudi Arabia is investing a trillion dollars in renewable energy. You jackass. Like the, these people are just so completely out to lunch. As to what the actual reality is, that they don't realize that anyone who's actually like is has any information on this topic, how completely cartoonish they sound. The problem is, is that like with the Trump problem, a lot of Canadians are not educated. So please share this program with your friends. <laughs>
2: um,
0: so that's just completely comical because referencing Saudi Arabia is probably the biggest argument for, as we've said repeatedly on this program before, uh, is, is the best possible argument to make for that because they have no interest in in. In investing money in things, they don't have to please their voters. It's a dictatorship essentially. It's a dicta- It's a plutocracy essentially because the princes are also rich and, and essentially exert control. And they've done that through a partnership with yes, some pretty hide- hideous religious groups. Let us not forget that I think twelve of the fourteen hijackers on nine eleven were all Saudi Arabians, right? So which is not to necessarily or in any way imply the country, mm. um, but it is a particularly um, religiously zealous type country. Um so yes, we shouldn't you know, we sh- we should not be necessarily get too close to Saudi Arabia, but they also have zero reasons to do things for anything other than their own economic benefit. Um and they're probably one of the biggest investors in renewable energy. And I'm saying probably because I don't know. So if somebody emails me saying this country is whatever, you know what I mean. The point remains, they have they're in making massive investments in renewable energy. I think that's an excellent argument. Um so here's the here's the point about why. So so that's why the response was silly. Um, now, why did I say that Justin Trudeau is terrible at messaging? Well, because a if he was going to make this argument, why you would do it at some random town hall in Alberta with a bunch of people who are obviously the, going to be the most resistant to that message, as opposed to, you know, I don't know, during the uh, the youth conference where he instead scolded people for putting out messages about how they need to phase out the oil sands. And then scorns them for not being willing to have a conversation and then turns around two months later and comes and says it to a bunch of basically you know, down-home Alberta folks that want to know what's going to happen with my future and says it to them out of context. Terrible politician. <laughs> Secondly, was if this was really what you were thinking? Maybe he's just been listening to the show. That's possible. He might have been listening, and he might have gotten that this is the type of language you need to be spreading if you want to actually uh, get any. Uh, um, if you want to gain back some of the support that you've lost with all the folks who are concerned about climate change, then maybe this was the right way to do. Still, this was not the venue to do it in. The timing and place was any of the other times when he scolded or run away from. Instead of you know scolding or running away from any of his climate change critics, maybe those are the people he should have said it to and said, "Look, I agree. We need to." Face out the oil sands and I'm gonna I'm gonna come up with a plan to do it that would have been the time and the place to do it so he's just a terrible politician but that's the more important part you would never say that unless you had a plan why would you think that you could ever say that without a plan so now we on this program have discussed a plan and 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 it's I have a I have a, quite a detailed plan in fact not detailed as in I've run the numbers but detailed conceptually a framework for a plan. Uh, a framework for a plan about how to move forwards on this. But you have to say what the plan is. So even aside from saying, you know, the timeline, he would politicians hate committing to timeline. So I understand why he didn't say it, but he could have said, you know, over the next generation, <laughs> that would have been vague enough. Cause that could mean 10 years. That could be 80 years. Right. But the most important thing is, isn't even the timeline. The most important thing is the plan. What are you going to do? Because every single thing here, if you read all the responses from the crowd, and if you read all the responses, they're saying, Hey, you're selling out my future. You don't care about, uh, uh, thing here, uh, the the leader of uh, some uh, what is it? Um, the, yeah, one of the intern leader PC thing. He said is he needs a political spack. Uh, Trudeau threw Alberta under the bus today, and Notley is sitting on her hands playing powder cape and blah 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 blah. The point is, is that they're right though. They're not right in that they're factually incorrect, but they're they are right in the sense that that was a stupid thing to say because if you're going to phase something out, yes, we our our economy is largely dependent on this industry. Tons of people are – it is in many senses an economic driver for the entire country. And so if you don't have a plan about what to replace it with, you are being an idiot. And I, I'm i the first one to say so. But here's the thing. You've had lots of time to come up with a plan and you need to have a plan. So I encourage the prime minister, Mr. Trudeau, if you're listening or if anybody in as part of the liberal party has any access to Trudeau, say, look, we love this. But you're going to get slaughtered politically if you don't come up with a plan. And you know what else too? The the environmentalists aren't going to believe you unless you come up with a plan. So please keep to this messaging, but do some homework first. If you ha- need some ideas, call me. <laughs> but you need to have a plan. Now, my plan, just so people don't know, think I'm blowing hot air here, is that we need to have a mass, and instead of all this money we're going to invest in pipelines, maybe let's invest all this money in job retraining. Because as we've said repeatedly on this program, and as you can easily look up on the internet yourself, uh, and it, probably most people can intuit just naturally, is that many of the skills that people are learning or have learned or need to ha- uh, use in the oil sands are directly transferable to renewable energy, right? Geothermal and pipeline digging, a lot of transferable skills. Uh, digging oil wells and digging do also lots of transferable skills Electro, uh, electronics uh, uh, engineers uh, uh, welders all these skills are directly transferable to the green energy revolution so if you off say look we're going to put all this money aside we're going to spend on oil infrastructure we're going to create the uh, a, a gigantic job retraining program and create a bunch of policies that not just incentivize but in many cases force so for instance you can't build a new building that doesn't at least uh, generate 20% of its own power or Meets you know either or you can either supplement it by building in its own renewable energy so that it's not pulling off the grid or you can beat this extremely um, uh, forward-thinking energy standard right so give them a couple options about how to do it but just say you cannot build buildings in Canada unless it meets the standard you've now created. A, you, you haven't picked the winners because you've created a bunch of options, people to make their own, just like with a lot of these carbon plans. You've given people the freedom to figure out how to solve the problem. You've just given them a benchmark for what – here's what we expect. Come up with your own way to solve it. And now you've just generated a giant demand for what? People that can build uh, ener- – they can install energy efficiency and all sorts of renewable energy. And now you're taking all the people who's concerned about their jobs and you're giving them other jobs. Uh, now, this is going to cost a lot of money. But guess what? So is cleaning up oil spills. So is building oil infrastructure. These are the things you can be saying. Now, these numbers have to be run, obviously. I'm, I'm not thinking that my high in the pie, you know, ideas here that I'm just spouting off. They're not off the top of my head. But I mean, for the sake of argument, you could say they're off the top of my head. But he needs to think about it. He's the one now that's claiming that his policies are going are to deal with climate change. And now he's even apparently so courageous that he's willing to go to Alberta and say that we need to freeze out the oil sands, despite the fact that it's obviously true. Um, but you have to come up with a plan. So please, Justin, we love what you're saying. But nobody's going to believe – first of all, half the people are not going to believe you because you don't—you haven't even given one hint of a plan about how to actually do that. Or you're saying it at some so distant time in the future when it's politically irrelevant for you. And everyone, as you saw from this response, who depends on the oil sands when you don't offer them an alternative are going to think that you're threatened. So this is a political loser. And I'm concerned that what happens is that he doesn't learn his lesson. He doesn't come up with a plan. But he keeps using these talking points and then gets slaughtered by – You know, terrifyingly, it might be uh, Michael Chong, who's uh, who's conservative, uh, who's running for leadership, uh, who actually wants also wants to implement a conservative idea of a carbon tax. But we could also get somebody like O'Leary or Leach, and and that is terrifying and i don't think we need any other reminder about the dangers of that other than what's going on south of us right now uh now that went a little bit longer than i wanted so i'm just going to really quickly just say what the other news article is you can look it up and i'll just read a couple of the titles um there really isn't a lot to say about this other article but it was uh something uh just sort of like a a warning here there a woman died in the u.s uh after an infection from bacteria resistant drugs now bacteria resistant uh, sorry uh, <laughs> drug resistant bacteria i got that backwards um is not a new thing what is new though is that uh, this woman died after they attempted to use all 26 fda approved uh, antibiotics this is not just uh, resistant to a antibiotic to every single thing in the arsenal um this is extremely concerning uh this this creates the possibility of a uh, it's been quite some time since uh, New antibiotics have been discovered. Uh, uh, very few over the last few decades. Um, so we have to consider, in 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 addition to a Trump era and a post-truth era, um, that we aim also maybe uh, that we may have Trump while we move into a post-antibiotic era. Uh, And that should be pretty concerning. Uh, So a couple of the other news articles I encourage you to look up on the website. Um, There's a great clip, which I want you to listen to, uh, called Russian Reporter, Get Ready for uh, Trump's Authoritarian Press Conferences, about a Russian journalist talking about um, how they, over the last 18 years, have had to – what they learned about dealing with Putin. And he's basically giving a warning, hey, here's what happened with Putin. This is what you're going to expect over the next few years um, it's extremely interesting. Definitely check that out. Also, Supreme Court rules fracking critics. Uh, a fracking critic doesn't have charter right to sue. Uh, some talk uh, about uh, how the Koch brothers are playing politic by, you know, essentially pretending to shut stuff down because of climate policy, but then doing stuff that makes it pretty conclusive that that's not what's actually going on and they're just trying to influence Canadian politics Uh, we have cross-country hearings going on with the NEB modernization Uh, I'd love to talk about that more we may come back to that next week because that's also kind of goofy Uh, companies increasing energy storage uh, and the NEB assigns recused Energy East panel member to the new Trans Canada owned file I should note that uh, uh, we always have some stuff from the National Observer here but a good half of these articles are from the National Observer as well so big up to them for continuing to do a a great job Uh, you'll find all those links and more on the web But that's it for now. We're going to come back in just a moment and talk about The Secrets of Our Senses with uh, documentary filmmaker uh, filmmaker Dougald Mosley and the uh, film The Secrets of Our Senses, which is an upcoming CBC documentary. But we are, however, going to take another quick music break here first. So please take it away. Up next, we have uh,
2: Reflector by Arcade Fire.
0: And we are back and uh, this is the tail section now of the Green Majority. Uh, You're listening on CIUT 89.5 or possibly one of our wonderful and very appreciated radio partners across uh, Canada now into the U.S. as well. And our international listeners through the podcast uh, as well as uh, folks who may be seeing us on uh, one of our other partners. We've got uh, stuff posted at rabble.ca, National Observer, more to come uh, as well. And uh, we'll have some – we have a whole bunch of cool interviews coming up and whatnot. So stay tuned to greenmajority.ca for details on all that or, hey. Just listen, download the podcast, do whatever you need to do. Very important, especially now. Uh, we're going to take the last section now, though, to talk to uh, Dougal Mosley, uh, who is the uh, filmmaker behind uh, the newest CBC Nature of Things documentary with David Suzuki, uh, Myth or Science, The Secrets of Our Senses. Are you there? I am. Thank you so much for taking some time to join us today. Well, no uh, If I can, sorry, if I can just get his mic a little higher. I don't know if we can do that there. Uh, cool. All right. Now we can hear you now. Okay, good. Uh, so one of the things that i was very interested about this because obviously our, our listeners will recognize that there's there isn't a super obvious direct link to the environment from this so the the reason that we that i wanted to talk about this was we've had obviously with uh we're now live during in in you know five minutes or so we're going to have the uh the the killer of truth uh, elected in the u.s uh and Donald Trump. yeah and uh and uh You know, so just when when I saw the description, I was sort of at first I was thinking uh, uh, because a a, you know a dear friend of mine uh, who works for the CBC frequently sends these for us, um, and uh, and I was like, ah, you know, I love doing the CBC docs, but I'm not really sure the connection. But then it hit me that the the importance here I think is almost the inverse, and so it made me think of a quote, and I think that's where I'd like to start, which is I dug it up before the show, which is uh, attributed to Confucius, but it's real knowledge is to know the extent of one's ignorance. And I thought really the theme here, uh, you know, we're talking about things you learned about how uh, the brain works and how our how our senses work, is that to also to understand that gives us a a very important ability to know what our limitations are and to and essentially to make this a giant pitch for empirical science and how we shouldn't necessarily, you know, trust our own our own instincts. So I'd like it if you would just start about, uh, you know, what did you learn about uh, the benefits, but also the limitations of our ability to sense things accurately?
2: Well, I think that's, it's a very good point. And, uh, you know, the, the whole fake news issue that's been raised as a result of <clears throat> what Trump's been about, what, what struck me the most, and I think it struck our host Jennifer Gardy as well, is that really we, we think of our senses as being these super reliable things. We look out at the world, we listen to something, that information goes to a certain part of our brain, it's translated, and we see or we hear. And what we discovered in this documentary is actually you can't really rely... Very much on your senses; they aren't nearly as accurate as we all thought.
0: And one of the things that came up for me too is, of course, you know, in a, in a courtroom, uh, you know, witness testimony is, is considered you know fairly high on the list. But in a in a science in a science context, it's basically next to meaningless. You know, there was a famous qu- uh, clip by uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson where he's you know he said if somebody came up to him and said uh, you know I, I, I saw this thing," he'd say, "Great, go test that and come back, and yeah. then I'll then I'll be interested." You know. Yes.
2: Well, it's true. I mean, we um, one of the people that we talked to was a uh, doctor named Gustav Kuhn. <clears throat> Pardon me, who's in uh, at uh, Goldsmith University in London, and basically, he's not only a psychologist but he's a magician because he believes that the kind of tricks that magicians have learned over the last thousands of years are basically tricks that use the the kind of failures of our brain or the limits of our brain to realize exactly how our senses function. And so we basically visited with Dr. Kuhn, and he bas- ran Jen through a number of different uh, situations where it was very clear that she was taking in only a very small portion of what she was seeing out there in the world. He did a couple of card tricks on her. She didn't notice what had happened. It's basically partly because of our brain need to basically take in an immense amount of information and, you know, if it had to take all that information in, run it through the brain, and then tell our body what to do, for example, um, we'd have to have this massive brain far bigger than our head or our neck can fold up. And as a result, our, our brain operates with some predictions. It uses what's called our internal model, which we build up over a lifetime of experiences. So, for example, if we see a ball thrown in the air, we expect that ball to come down. That's something we just got used to over time. So um, our brain, rather than watch that whole action, it immediately decides, ball's going up, ball comes down. So it makes that decision. It has our body respond to that, whether that happens or not. So this whole need for the brain to make predictions in order to be able to function means that a lot of the information that we get visually, um, you know, might not be totally correct, or we might be missing something that's out there. And uh, to all of us, that was a bit of a shock.
0: And so, one of the other things that I found that sounded really interesting was the UCLA uh, Multisensory Perception Lab, which just sounds like a place I'd go on like for a weekend trip. But I'm a, <laughs> I'm a huge dork, so. Uh, but but the idea about tr- tricking the senses with relation to was it uh, was it tactile? It was a rubber band and, yeah. and a fork it, and Yeah, it,
2: It's a very bizarre place, and it's a very bizarre kind of process. The context is that scientists who work in the area of the senses realize that what they have to do in order to understand how our senses function. Is, is tricked our senses so that we can see how they can be tricked which reveals how they work so the idea with the rubber hand illusion is that you sit someone down at a desk you put one arm behind the screen and you replace that arm with a rubber hand so what you, when you look down you're blindfolded at first when you look down what you see is your left arm for example and your right arm now is replaced by a rubber hand and a rubber arm And so the person conducting the test on you and Jen Gardy went through this as well. They stroke your hidden arm and the rubber hand at the same time. So it feels like your real arm is being stroked, but what you're looking at is actually the rubber hand. And what happens is that the body, the brain, again has to take in the information it's receiving, both from its vision and from its touch, and decide which information to accept. And what ends up happening is that in the test, they pull a fork out from under the table. And unbeknownst to the person who's having their hand stroked, they stab the rubber hand. And the reaction, 100%, almost 100% of the time, is the person screams. <laughs> because they think they've been stabbed. And, uh, you know, Jan, who sat there and watched this illusion probably a dozen times, but then sat down and had it done to her, she screamed like crazy as well. Because <laughs> she thought she'd been stabbed. So, again, it's the brain having to take in this information that it's receiving. It's it, it getting different um, sensory data and it has to decide which it's going to accept. So in this case, it's accepted by looking down that that rubber hand belongs to to, uh, the body. And you know, it's a neat thing because the brain does this. It's constantly, as Ladan Sham said to us, the the head of the multi-perceptionary lab, she said, you know, you would think that the body, the brain would know what the body is. It's, it's, It's part of that body for your entire life. You would think it would know what's your hand and what's not your hand. But she says the brain is constantly calculating Uh, its sense of self. And the reason this is really amazing is that, for example, if you're a hockey player, you can make that hockey stick part of your body if you use it enough. Mm -hmm. Your your brain starts to accept that the hockey stick is an extension of your hand, which is why we see these hockey players who can do amazing things with their hockey stick that we think we could do. That's part of of what was revealed to her through this whole process
0: well, that, and that makes me think of, and this may not be a perfect uh, comparison, but it makes me think of that thing we, we've heard about, it, the, the 10,000 hours thing, where if you do something yep. for 10,000 hours, you become um, proficient. But. And the part of that is simply is that if you're doing, and maybe this doesn't apply to some areas, but at least in the areas of physical activity, that this is sort of the amount of time it takes the brain to just sort of include that in the sense of self.
2: I, I think that's probably very true. I mean, they talk about it with, uh, you know, uh, concert pianists who, you know, you, it's amazing what somebody can do on the piano. And, and I think that is, has a lot to do with the fact that your brain starts to, to uh, change its sense of self. And, uh, and, and that allows us to function in an extraordinary way. But it is counterintuitive. You would think that we know. Um, we lived in our bodies for X number of years. We would know what is part of our body and what is not. But the brain is constantly calculating that every second of every day.
0: And I, I briefly, when I was younger, had for just like one year, I had a motorcycle, and and I've never really had a luck learn a lot of luck learning how to drive a car. And, and for me, it was because I found it very easy as somebody that grew up from a very very young age uh, mountain biking. I find it very easy to put my sort of sense of self around a bike because it's sort of small and over the center, and and so I'm 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 quite agile on a bike. But being able to extend it in a lopsided way to such to account for the sort of offset position of the driving a car, I've I've never been able to drive a car. I, I, I the one time I took a driver's test, I failed before. I even got out of the parking space, uh, and I, I just it made me think of that as well as being like just sort of expanding your 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 mind over an object uh, when you use it enough. Yeah, it makes yeah. a lot of sense.
2: And maybe that's what it comes down to. You just need to practice more.
0: Yeah, yeah. I also, I'm also biased against cars. So, that's fine. Uh, so w- one of the other things that made me come up, though, with and we're coming back to the multisensory lab as well, um, is it made me think of this, um, this talk. I, I forget who it was by. It was uh, from, by some other famous scientist uh, in the U.S., uh, but I watch a lot of YouTube lectures and stuff. And they were talking about how the brain is biased towards false positives as opposed to false negatives, because in, at a very basic uh, sort of reptilian level, um, if you think there's a threat and you're wrong, you live. And if you think there's not a threat, and there is, you're dead. And so, over millions of years, we've essentially evolved a bias towards false positives. And I think that's very much what the uh, what the rubber uh, rubber hand experiment was showing was: it's safer to assume that's your hand and and have a fear response yeah. or a defense response than to assume it's not.
2: Yeah, better safe than sorry.
0: Right. Yeah, and, and that whole that whole ethos. But the uh, of course, what we've seen is that. Uh, This is people, I think, aren't particularly aware of this natural bias towards false positives um, and, you know, assume that that their instincts are correct, which they can be, uh, but they don't sort of take this pre-existing bias into account. I think that's where we get a lot of people believing in in things that are that have long ago been proven false by science.
2: Yeah, I think that's very interesting. I mean, I don't know if this is totally connected, but we did have another um, uh, experience in this process where we were looking at our sense of smell. And, um, you know, the, the, the scientists in Germany, what they were interested in working out was they believed that early in our evolution, we actually could smell danger. We mm. had, had that ability because we needed to have that ability to survive. And that over time, we've lost that ability, or, or have we, um, because perhaps it's not uh, as required. Sure, you need to smell rotten food so you don't eat it and become sick and things like that, but they're talking at a much more subliminal level. And uh, it was fascinating to us because they, they, they took us through this experiment that they did where they had uh, boxers generate sweat while they were doing you know boxing, so it was an aggressive uh, action. And then they had sweat that was generated doing something that looked like boxing, but it was, it was just a, a standard sort of exercise, so there was no aggression involved. Mm. And uh, then they had volunteers who didn't know what they were sniffing smell the different types of sweat and see whether they could, uh, through a complex test, see whether they could actually sense which sweat was the aggressive sweat and which was not. And what was fascinating is that over a large number of volunteers, the volunteers did react differently to the, uh, the aggressive sweat. So the, the view was that we may have subliminated this nurse, if that's the correct mm. word, that actual uh, ability, it's not gone. And uh, we still have this, this sort of unconscious almost ability to, uh, to discover something that could actually protect us.
0: Mm. Uh, so we've only got a, about a minute left. I, I apologize for We didn't have quite as much time as I'd uh, hoped I talked too much earlier. So oh. apologies to you. But uh, I think that the, with the last minute, I think I'd like to point out or give you an opportunity to point out just the University of Leeds thing around the images.
2: Yes. So a fascinating thing. We all uh, probably have experienced it, which is, uh, is it possible that what we see uh, affects what we feel? So once again, the multi-perceptionary thing, which is really the key finding for us of what's happened in the world of senses that our senses don't operate on their own, they operate together. And in this case, we set up a fake lecture where uh, the, the person started out just putting images up that were general images, and then they began to put up images of, uh, of mosquitoes on people's skin and, and the things that uh, that would cause you to feel itchy, and to see what kind of reaction we would get from the uh, the audience who didn't know that they were being filmed by us. And sure enough, as soon as those images came up of uh, mosquitoes on skin or or bees or those kind of things that people in the audience began to scratch as if those animals were on their skin. And maybe it goes back to what you said before. It's really kind of a matter of safety. So the body goes, okay, I see those things. I don't necessarily feel that on my skin, but I think I'll just check to make sure. And uh, so the sense of touch is actually triggered by something that you see, which is absolutely fascinating. And uh, it happens invariably, and they haven't exactly worked out why but uh, they do believe that that part of the brain that deals with sight is also triggering the part of the brain that deals with touch.
0: All right. Well, unfortunately, we are out of time, but I want to thank you very much again, uh, Dougald Mosley, who's the uh, the filmmaker uh, behind Myth or Science, The Secrets of Our Senses, which is uh, going to be available on Nature of Things Thursday, January 26th at 8. Uh, if there's any time-shifting questions, we'll have a link to the website for that as well. People can check out where if, – if there's any variants in their local area, I'm not sure. But uh, thank you so much for your time and for joining us. Thank you, Darren. All right. Pleasure. And that, uh, as I was saying, that's all the time we have for today, uh, unless you're listening to the podcast version, and then we'll be right back with the bonus show. Uh, either way, thank you so much for listening. And uh, stay strong. Trump is being inaugurated right now if you're listening live. So uh, you'll probably want to go download the Bono Show. It's going to be funnier than, than what's on TV right now. Thanks so much for everybody for listening and have a great week. That's it for the regular program. I'm, I'm sorry we actually ran out of time for that interview because I really like talking about nerdy science, stuff like that. But we have a brief bonus show for you as well. So without further ado, we'll get to that. If you do appreciate this program and like what we're doing and especially uh, are excited about some of the upcoming changes because we're going to be making some improvements to the show, uh, the best way to find out about what those are going to be and to have some input is actually be a member. So you can become a member of The Green Majority at greenmajority.ca and hit the donate button or you can just go to Patreon, dot com slash go green majority and sign up to be a member enjoy all righty we're listening to the bonus show which is going to be super brief today because we're short on people and Stefan has to run that is true so that's all right well we'll do that um Stefan, i was curious if you had any comments about the the interview before we move into anything else did you did you know all that stuff about sensory and uh, whatnot i presume <laughs>
1: I didn't put my headset on, so I think you just asked me about the about about the first thing, or second thing, or third thing. What are
0: you saying? Oh yeah, no, no, no. I was saying, uh, I was saying, did you uh, learn anything from the interview?
1: Oh yeah, no. It's uh, it's man, it humans, man. Uh, like I think honestly, I think if I if, if whenever I hear anything like that, my my first and biggest reaction is always there is just so much we don't know that even if we took everything that we thought we knew and thought we understood, uh, and thought and uh, we would still be operating in the dark. And so I find, I, which what frustrates me so much about, about people who sort of are like, you know what? Let's not even let's not even try to know the things we actually can know, and reject even the few facts we have, because it's like we're already fighting such an uphill battle. We're already knowing so few things, uh, and and being surprised every day by ourselves. Like it's it's, it's it, These are these are like you know the, like we. When you look at even just like the amount of uh, our genome, which has now been understood, uh, but hasn't actually been connected in any way, you know, like we we we've studied so few of the actual th- genes in our own body, and and, and to the, it's, it's so frustrating uh, when you know it's like we can't like. There are already so many unknown unknowns that trying our best and making something work would be amazing, uh, and 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 it would be lucky to even get that off. So when you reject even the more basic of facts that we can know, uh, or even just refuse to understand anything at all, I just don't. It's like yeah, you you have no hope. You have no hope in being right uh, because you are not. Because you know, even the few places that you could be right, you haven't even like you. You know, it, it, it's like if a hockey team was like you know what. I, we could have one player against five, but instead, let's just have none. But we'll still win. We'll definitely still win because um, we're the best. It's like you're not even trying to field a team. Like, do something.
0: I'm just shocked you made a sports reference without going to baseball.
1: Yeah, I know. Well, it's because, well I guess I could have gone – right. I, did, I didn't say field a team, which technically would be ice a team, I guess. I don't know actually how you, what you call that in, in hockey. Um, uh, but it just sort of seemed like, yeah, you know, I just – and it, it, it's interesting, right? It, like whenever I hear new things like that, it's always interesting. And in, 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 like I love, I love learning new things about us because that's 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 what that that's like some one of the simpler, simpler joys in life. And I think uh, every time someone's like, "Whoa, this other weird thing about us," and people are like, "Whoa, that's cool," is like a is is important. And yet, we have we live in a society that so often people are like, "I don't even want to know that." And you're like, well, "What are you doing?"
0: Well, I think that the important thing for me as well was like, and the the reference point for me with the Trump thing is that like, whether we're talking about you know Americans or Canadians or anyone anywhere in the world, is that there's a lot of folks who just like. No, that doesn't seem right. I mean, the the first year you were on the the radio program, essentially all we were talking. This was you know still during Harper, and uh, and you know it was early Obama for part of it. Uh, and there was I forget where the line is. Eight years, yeah, okay. So right when I started would have been the last year of Bush, and then Ob- and then Obama got elected. But I mean, so much of this conversation has even just been getting you know politicians to to agree that climate change is a real thing at all and and one of it is that like so many people and and we get emails all the time or if you look at twitter tools or you know any of this other stuff is that so much of it is like oh it can't be true because of this science thing (laughs) haha therefore checkmate and it's like they don't know anything else about science and really and we all know is happening it's just that they had a pet belief or whatever bias uh political or whatever reason they have and then they go and seek out the counterpoint because they think that someone else is wrong because it simply conflicts with what their pre-existing beliefs are about something that often don't even have anything to do with science they're usually more just like political beliefs or as we saw with the alberta thing you know he's saying you know oil oil needs to be phased out and people freak out you're attacking us and how dare you throw Alberta under the bus why does albertans like i understand I understand in an immediate sense why people who live in Alberta take like very personally because yes because currently there more so than anywhere else in Canada their economy is directly tied to the oil industry but I don't understand I mean I do and I do, I do and don't at the same time understand why people go so if you say anything negative about oil by definition you're attacking me like why they personally so carefully identify with the oil sands but at the end of the day like their personal opinions are like your your immediate personal opinion is sort of not relevant, and that was the point of the reason I was going to the the, the census thing, which was you know we 're not good at making decisions on our own we 're not good at even our even if you said, "Well, I did this, and you know i hey i 've had that happen to me and here 's what happened to me isn 't a good argument and and we just simply need to defer to science because not because scientists are better people but because the process of science is the only way to counterbalance all of these uh you know counterintuitive like I was saying you know we 're biased towards false positives and there 's all of these biases that you know step one is knowing they exist, but step two is creating a system to to find out the truth despite those and to essentially counteract all of these biases which lead us to incorrect assumptions. Um, and that needs to be institutionalized, right? And you knew that's where I was going with it. <laughs> but at at some point we need to like fundamentally integrate um fundamentally integrate, uh, science into our decision-making process in a way that it isn't subject to whoever just happens to have the microphone that minute. Uh, and I was pointing at you because I was wondering if our new tech wanted to jump in <laughs> No, she's shaking her head. No dice. Did was there anything at all that confused you today? Uh, anything, anything you learned, anything you feel that, uh, that jumped up? I'm, I'm putting you on the spot and forcing you to say something. I apologize. That's part of our hazing here at Green Majority.
1: <laughs> oh, thanks. I feel like part of the team now. Um, I don't know. I think it is really true that we do have a lot of bias. And I think the scientific process is is really the only way to counteract that. And in a lot of t- like a lot of times, it's the only way to even find out what our biases are, because they're so ingrained that we just aren't aware of them most of the time. So it really takes that sort of um, rational, uh, detached process to just see where, where these things lie and what can trip us up and what we need to be aware of. And, and, and I think what's even more interesting um, is that even the scientific project process itself is, 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 inf- is fallible. Oh, you know, sure. Uh, in that, you know, it, the scientific process itself re- only is as good as the machines that we have to record things that are happening. Uh, one of the most interesting things I've ever, a person's ever heard was someone asked why Elon Musk became an engineer instead of a scientist. And he said that he realized that science is only as good as the machines. And so in reality, the building of the machines and the, or, or the building of the structures to record things and understand things was actually, uh, was his mind that was driving then the science, you know, um, and I think, I think really that we – all of humanity have a bias to presume that we are smarter than the rest of things happening and, and, and each thing we do like, – like there's a level of which I'm coming to more and more and more appreciate the power of being humble and the power of, 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 respond, uh, of responding with compassion. And both of these things are like the quintessential truisms um, that we that people will say all the time. And now we get this other truism. But I think, like in reality, like when you find the people who who uh, you know have this, uh, who are the most revered in society, these are two things that they consistently have. You know, even so, go back to Socrates; he was, he, was he, he he was known for not for basically saying he didn't know anything. Um, and uh, you know, and 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 then you know the, and these two truisms I think are so difficult because they fight this sense of, no, I am the best, me, look at me, me doing things. And that's the most ingrained thing in, out of all of us, right? Like every single part of what we're trying to do is, 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 is protect ourself, our, 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 our self in, in a, in a very direct way. And so I think this all of this ties back to like these two this one massive bias for ourselves and we, we, and and the and the and the in these and i uh, uh, taking a humble approach to learning things and a compassionate approach to interacting with others are i think the rejection of this central bias to ourselves and i think that's what makes them both so powerful uh, and it's ridiculously difficult and i'm not pretending that i uh, have any solutions on either of these things but more and more and more i'm coming to appreciate these two facts as 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 necessary and important and required for us to move forward in any effective way um yeah man and yeah. then you know, Trump's president fuck
0: yeah. that no, I think I think that's all uh, I had for this week as well. Uh, I just yeah, I just like that's that's why I want to talk about this stuff because it's not like so much going forward. The conversation is going to be like, oh, Trump's wrong on this; we're right. Um, but I mean, the the real victim here is is reality, and uh, I think it just generally accepting that nobody has a license to truth, and that we need some impartial arbiter, and that you know, despite its flaws, the best tool we have for that currently is the empirical scientific method and repeatability and that you know even just one study doesn't prove anything we need meta studies we need dozens of studies taking looks at different things and until you've done that you do not have any right to say that you know what you're talking about because your personal experience and your personal knowledge is in the only truth is that the the only real truth is that they're incredibly fallible and and, until we have you know 40 studies all pointing in the same direction uh, we shouldn't really be certain of anything um Except that Trump's a fool. I think we can conclusively say that. So why don't we end it there? Thank you so much, Stefan. I know you got to run. Thanks yeah. for sticking around. Thank you to our new tech. we'll uh, let I put her on the spot, and I know she's super bear. So thank you so much for doing that. And we'll see you all next week. Thanks.